0: Uh, Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as uh, we listen uh, to your word tonight, uh, we pray that you would bring us conviction, that it is true and sure, and we live by your word. Help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. Help us all to understand what it means and we pray to receive it with the faith that honours you, our living God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Drop something and it falls to the ground. Jump out of the window and you will fall to the ground, but don't worry, she did survive amazingly from the fifth floor. Uh, The reality, the truth of gravity is something you just need to know for life. When you cross a road, you need to wait until there's no traffic. Otherwise, well, there are just some things that we need to know and practise for life. And in Deuteronomy 8, there uh, is a big truth. God says we need to know all of us for life, that man does not live by bread alone, but by, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, the word translated man there is actually Adam. Adam, It's the word used for humanity, male and female, back in Genesis 1. It is inclusive. Each one of us, every man and woman, girl and boy, all who are included in Adam, the human race, needs to know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word, all that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord, that God's word is life. You heard in Deuteronomy 8 that it particularly matters to God that his people, you and I, as we trust Jesus, knows this, grasps this. For there we heard that the Lord went to considerable effort to teach his people this truth to give them a habit of living by every word that comes forth from his mouth. And you also heard in the New Testament reading that this is the truth Jesus knew and lived by. It's these very words Jesus quoted when rejecting the devil's temptation in the wilderness to turn stone into bread, to satisfy his hunger, to be directed not by his Father's word, but by his appetites. In response, Jesus had said, as we heard, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord. But what exactly does that mean? And how and why did the Lord teach his people this life lesson? Well, in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is continuing to prepare Israel, to prepare God's people to possess and live in the land that the Lord is graciously giving them. And so he says to them, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Now, the whole commandment or all the command looks back to the beginning of this section to deuteronomy 6 where god had said that israel is to love him with all their heart their soul and all their might to love him by obeying his commands now to help them do that to live that way moses reminds them of the life-giving power and sufficiency of the lord's word of the lesson the Lord had deliberately taught them in the wilderness wanderings. "'You shall remember,' he said, "'the whole way that the Lord your God "'has led you these forty years in the wilderness, "'that he might humble you, "'testing you to know what was in your heart, "'whether you would keep his commandments or not. "'And he humbled you and let you hunger "'and fed you with manna, "'which you did not know, nor did your fathers know.' that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, the wilderness wandering didn't happen because Moses lost the map. It was deliberate. The Lord led them. Now there's something to think about there. The one event can be judgment for some but the Lord's loving discipline, his training of others. For the rebellious generation, the wilderness wandering was the execution of God's judgment on them, that they would die in the wilderness and never enter the promised land. But for their children, that same wandering would be their preparation to live in the land, a time of training, of learning. The same event was judgment for rebels, and life-giving discipline for the Lord's faithful people. You see, the Lord knows how to distinguish between those who trust him and those who do not, even as both experience the same trial, whether it's an economic downturn or a drought or a sickness or a relationship failure. The Lord knows how to distinguish and to work different outcomes for his people from that event, to work good for those who love him. And the good purpose that the Lord was working for his people was, verse 2, their humbling. Their humbling to teach them this all-important lesson. It also says, verse 2, that God was testing them to know, to reveal what was in their hearts. Our actions proceed from our hearts, our wills. And so the sense is that By their circumstances in the wilderness, God is bringing to light, showing the Israelites themselves whether or not they trust him, trust him enough to do what he has said. Humbling and the testing that reveals go hand in hand in trying circumstances. In fact, being shown the weakness of your faith or love in testing can be part of the humbling. But the emphasis here falls on humbling. He repeats it in verse 3, and he humbled you. To be humbled is to be brought low, to be brought face to face with your powerlessness, your weakness, your inability, that you don't have the resources to meet your needs, to control your outcomes. And the Lord, verse 3, says he deliberately humbled the Israelites in the wilderness through something that's basic to us all, to which we can all relate, our need for food. They were brought to hunger. And hunger is tough and inescapable, isn't it? It gnaws at your guts and preoccupies your mind, and it has to be addressed. But what could they do in the desert? No shops, not in the one place long enough to grow their own food and besides, no water. To be hungry, you, your wife, your children, to be hungry and helpless is to be brought low. To be unable to do what you've done every day for years, to put food on your table and in your belly, that is to feel your powerlessness. We know that. I was talking the other day to a bloke, who'd always provided for his family and now for various circumstances, he could not. He could see the bills mounting up, the difficulty his family had in just buying groceries. And he was in distress, feeling ashamed and powerless, humbled by circumstances. He humbled them. God made them hungry. And then he fed them. In a way that was totally unfamiliar to them, totally beyond their power of control, he gave them manna, a fine flake-like thing, we're told, that's like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And the thing with the manna was that five days a week they could only gather enough each morning for that coming day. And on the sixth day they could gather enough for the sixth and seventh days, but no more. They could not store it up. They couldn't build up a reserve. And Moses had said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning, but some tried and it stank and bred worms. Forty years, every morning except on the Sabbath, going out and collecting the manna just enough for that day. No loaf in the freezer, crackers in the cupboard, flour in the jar. Every night the cupboard was bare. Now can you imagine what that would be like? At the beginning having to rely on something that they'd never experienced that was just weird. Oh and having no say, having to take what came with no choice. They couldn't get up in the morning and say, I'll have the chocolate manna this morning. No, same every day. Without a day when you didn't have to do things God's way if you wanted to eat. And how many years would it take for you not to go to bed anxious about what you would eat tomorrow? Forty years each day having to rely on God's provision, on God being faithful to his word. It was a lesson in dependence, developing a habit of dependence, complete dependence on the Lord, on his word, on his promise of provision, that his provision would be there, that it would be enough for the whole family, that it would be all they needed to live. The point was, not just that you could rely on god for bread for food no the lesson is bigger than that all this took place that god might make them know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the lord the point that was life the point is that life is found in relating to the lord by believing and doing his word That life is found in doing things the Lord's way, even if it's unusual, not something that you'd ever experienced before. That life is found in doing things His way, even if His way is anti-intuitive, because we all know we'll feel more comfortable if we could just get that little stockpile. Oh, that life is found in doing things the Lord's way, even if His way is not what you felt like doing, you know, not manner, again. Oh, that life is found in doing things his way, even if his way is not the way you might think of doing things, where it might go against your appetites, desires and choices. That's the big lesson for all humanity. Life is found not ultimately in our secure routines, in our plans, in our hard work, in our provision, in our reliance on ourselves and our own efforts, Life is found not in following and fulfilling our desires and dreams. No, life is found in relying on God's word, on his faithfulness to his promise and commitments, in believing and doing what he says, in knowing his word is utterly true and reliable. And the Israelites found that the Lord's provision was more than adequate. Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. They suffered no want, no edema of protein deficiency or vitamin-deficient heart failure. They got to the end of their wilderness wanderings in good condition. What came from the mouth of God was sufficient. And Moses reminds them that this lesson, even though humbling and tough, was given in love. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now discipline involves both training, keeping you at the task until you've mastered it, and occasionally punishment. But it's actually training here. It's saying that the Lord, like a parent, was training Israel through constant repetition. And that actually is most of our discipline, our training of children, isn't it? Uh, even uh Though you may not have children, you may well have experienced parenting, right? And constant repetition of simple lessons is actually at the heart of our discipline, of our training. You want to teach your child self-control. You find yourself saying, just wait, just wait, wait till everybody's served. You want to encourage application to see that rewards come through hard work and not by luck. You may have heard this. Yes, we do have to go to swimming training tonight. You've booked in. You want to do it. Oh, yes, you do have to do your homework. Yes, you did it last night, I know, but you've got to do it again tonight. Oh, training in thoughtfulness and listening. Just wait. Wait until your sister's finished speaking. Oh, don't interrupt. Heard that again and again. Constant repetition of simple lessons, all with the goal that your child will grow up to enjoy a useful and fruitful life as an adult. Well, the Lord was equipping Israel, disciplining them, training them in the wilderness with great patience so that they could grow up, in a sense, to enjoy what he would give them, enjoy the good land, that he is bringing them to. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. This land is exceptional, so different from their experience in the wilderness, rich and varied in foods, abundant and accessible water, Oh yes, verse 9, mineral resources, a land in which they will lack nothing, where, verse 10, they can eat and finally be full. But the Lord knew that living in that good land was not without risk. You see, the human heart, our hearts are actually so perverse that we can use God's good gifts to push God away from us, use prosperity that God gives us to stop listening to the Lord, to stop listening and doing, even though the life, the life of God's people depends on it. The Lord's land could only be occupied and they could only keep living in this good land in peace in his presence if they kept his word. That whole command to love him with all their heart, soul and strength by doing his will, if they, verse 6, kept the commandments of the Lord their God by walking in his ways and fearing him. And that's why he trained them, those 40 years, those 40 tough years, to live by his word. so they could enjoy the fulfilment of his promise. That's why the Lord could say in verse 16 that this testing and humbling was to do them good in the end because it was to give them their inheritance in his land. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's a lesson for us all. Life is from the Lord, our Creator, and it's found in dependent trust on the Lord, the Creator of heaven and earth, the dependent trust that listens, believes, and does the Lord's word. But this was, in the end, a lesson we know Israel failed to practice. We know they turned away from the Lord to worship other gods. And actually, this is a truth that is not natural for any of us because it's the truth Adam and Eve abandoned. Remember Genesis 3? Rather than being the source of life, they saw the command of God, don't eat of the truth, the knowledge of good and evil, they saw that command as restrictive, stopping them from being all the devil told them they could be like God. And so they chose to believe that the word of the Lord was not true. They chose to believe that God would not do what he had said. That is, they chose death not life, by rejecting the word of the Lord, and that is the death that envelopes us all for all our race, bar one, the Lord Jesus, also failed to rely wholly on the word of the Lord when put to the test. But Jesus, Jesus did rely wholly on the word of his Father, not only in the wilderness, but throughout his life and supremely in going to the cross, obeying the command that he had received from his father, John 10, to lay his life down, to take it up again. You see that? Jesus staked all, life itself, on the trustworthiness and sufficiency of God's word, on man living by the word from God's mouth. He believed his father's word was all he needed to live even if he died. And so he became himself the word that gives life to all who trust him. That we live by God's word is also the truth that the gospel calls us to embrace from the very beginning of our relationship with God calls us to embrace having first humbled us. The gospel, you see, is a word from God's mouth. The message that forgiveness of sins and eternal life is given in Jesus' name on his authority to all who will repent and believe, who confess that the crucified and risen Jesus is Lord. The starting point of the Christian life is believing we live by God's word. And that same word that gives us life first humbles us so that we'll depend on the word of God, humbles us by calling us to repent and believe. That's right, isn't it? To repent is to say we are not God and that we have been wrong not to listen to the true God wrong not to honour God by our obedience wrong not to trust his word and to repent is to say we cannot undo the consequences of the wrong we have done ourselves to repent is actually to say it is right that we be condemned to death for our sin right that we face the judgement where we meet God's just anger on our rebellion to repent is to say we are needy in need of mercy and forgiveness that is it in that it is in god's hand alone to give and his hand cannot be forced to repent is to say we are helpless unable to make ourselves right with god our creator to repent is to be humbled and that's where we all start when we turn to Jesus. Being humbled to know we have life in the Word of God alone and not in any of our thoughts and actions, our good deeds or insights. Humbled by the Word. To be exalted by the Gospel Word. Forgiven. Adopted as God's children as we trust Jesus. Humbled to come to share in the inheritance of God's people, the new heaven and earth? Have you let yourself be humbled by the gospel truth, by Jesus' death and resurrection as the only source of salvation? Hearing the gospel word, have you confessed your neediness, that only the crucified and risen Jesus can give you life by his word? Have you abandoned reliance on yourself and what you do to be right with God? And abandoning that self-reliance trusted in his gospel promise. I hope so. Because to repent and believe is to find life from the mouth of God. And I hope so because the continuing Christian life is actually lived by continually being humbled and relying on God's word alone for life. You see, it is always true that the poor in spirit and only the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, that is, the humble those who know their spiritual poverty and neediness, who know that they are spiritual bankrupts and can't rely on themselves and their own resources to be right with God. it's only the poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom. And Jesus calls his followers to keep on living as those who are poor in spirit. He calls his followers when faced with concerns about daily need, food and clothing, not to turn to themselves and their own wisdom, but to live by God's word, to not trust in their own schemes, but to do his will, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting humbly that he will provide, depending on him. Those who have been humbled, who have seen the bankruptcy of doing things their way, whether it's lying or cheating or following lust or greed or putting their own interests ahead of others as they seek to satisfy their needs and wants. Those who have embraced repentance and faith in the gospel, they are the ones who can also know the freedom of having only one responsibility in all circumstances, no matter how threatening and perplexing the responsibility to trust their Saviour and to seek to live by his word, his instruction. As you face life, having to meet your daily needs, do you know that freedom? Oh, because those who know that freedom also know the joy of finding their Saviour faithful. We begin the Christian life relying on God's word, We live the Christian life relying on God's word and we end the Christian life relying on God's word knowing that we live by God's word alone. We end as we begin being humbled to be exalted for there is nothing so humbling as death. From the perspective of this world, death is complete hopelessness complete powerlessness, complete humiliation, the body that may once have exalted in its strength and beauty, lifeless decaying, the voice that may once have commanded, silent, ignored. In that humbling, where can we look for life? How can you and I die with a confident hope? It's actually only if you know that that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that the promise of God, spoken by God's Son Jesus, is sure and strong, powerful to raise the dead. The promise of Jesus, that whoever hears his word and believes him who sent him has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life, as you know that that is the promise of the one whose word will raise the dead. And if you're not a believer, if you haven't yet humbled yourself to believe the gospel, what will you rely on then when you are humble? There is life in his word for you, and for all who will repent and believe. We become Christians by believing the Word. We continue by believing the Word. We end by believing the Word. But Deuteronomy 8 is given not just to bring home to us this life-giving truth that we live by the Word of the Lord, It's also given to reveal the threat to our reliance on the word of the Lord. And that threat is forgetting. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up And you forget the Lord your God. Now, in these verses, we learn what it is to forget. For the Israelites to forget the Lord, it was to not keep his commands and his rules and his statutes. You forget by disobeying. To forget is to say that the Lord your God has no claim on you. And we see what is at its heart, at the heart of forgetting, in verses 12 to 14. Your hard work reaps a good reward. Your plans prosper. You start to enjoy some success. And with that, a little bit of security and status. And it says your heart is lifted up. That is, you become proud. No longer needy. No longer without resources. Able to handle life's challenges on your own. You don't need to depend on the Lord. And so you forget the Lord. You write him out of your history. Even though Israel only had a story because of him, because of his power and care shown to them in the wilderness. But you forget. And in your pride you say, verse 17, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Oh, you say it in your heart, no one else might hear But this is now the belief that informs your will, your decisions, that you are self-sufficient. You are the source of your own success and security. You deserve the credit. You need only look to yourself and no one else and so you can make your own rules and live by them. You see, forgetting is not just the odd memory lapse. Forgetting is to lose track of the relationship because you've become indifferent to it. It's to write the Lord out of your personal history. It's to cease to accommodate the way you live to his presence, to the reality of your relationship. Forgetting is deliberate, even if it may grow on you slowly. To forget the Lord is to be like a husband or wife who, while their faithful spouse is living, decides to take off their wedding ring when they go out. Forgetting is so easy for the prosperous. In fact, this is, I think, the story of Protestant Australia, made forgetful by the prosperity and the peace that the Lord has blessed us with over the last hundred plus years. Forgetful, turning our back on the faith of our forebears, and putting moralism in its place because we've become convinced that we are good people and all the good we have is because we are good people. Yet forgetting is so dangerous. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. You see, when you forget, you become like all the others who don't know God and you suffer the same judgment as those who don't know God. And isn't that what we see today all around us as the Lord gives up white Australia to its folly? The folly of its idolatry of self. Forgetting is dangerous. And the scriptures here warn us of it because it's actually a real possibility for those who have believed the gospel. See, think about your believing the gospel. We all start in need, don't we? Humbled to believe the word of God. Perhaps it's some external crisis, something going wrong in a marriage or relationship or your business is failing or you're dropping out of your course. Or perhaps you're confronted by the mess your decisions were making of your life and the lives of those you love. Or perhaps... You just became convicted of your own guilt and shame before a holy God and you feared his judgment and you embraced the gospel. And what happened? Well, what happens so often? Over the years, your life stabilises. You start making choices informed by God's truth. You learn a little bit of self-discipline. And in a few years' time, you start to realise that things are going better. And you start to think as you look around you, I'm here. I've got this good life because I've made good choices. Especially compared to others. Oh, my good life. My hard work at trying to do what's right. They've given me this peaceful, prosperous life. I enjoy this good community, this good relationship. I've made good choices not like you know not like that person who walked out on his wife or got addicted to gambling or oh. and we can start to say in our hearts we don't need a word that's for needy people no no we want a word that will tell us how to do better how to be better how to be more prosperous and successful in our life in fact We start to get irritated by a word that speaks of sin and forgiveness and grace and of being saved by all things the death of a criminal. We don't want a word that humbles us. We forget. Forgetting can happen to us, and it is deadly. So how can we keep on living by this truth that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? How can we keep on living by this truth that actually is the Christian life that saves us, that we live by God's word and not be forgetful? Well, Moses called the Israelites to remember reality. There you are, you're prospering. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Remember, he says, that the Lord Israel is your God. You're in relationship with the Lord. By his grace you are his people and you should listen to him. I remember, he says to them, that it's the Lord who gives you power to get wealth. Oh yes, they work to build those houses and bring those crops in. But their ability, their health, their opportunity, their environment, their every breath was all from him. And the good they enjoyed in the land was not from their goodness or achievement. We've been reminded how they failed constantly. No, it was from the Lord's faithfulness to his promises. They were blessed because he was gracious and kept his commitments. It was him, not them. And actually, the Lord is calling us Christians to always remember gospel reality. Jesus is our Lord. That's what it is to be a Christian. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We are his, to live by his word. Oh, and the Lord Jesus, the one who has all authority, he's the one who both sustains us physically, is the source of all the blessing we enjoy. And he is the one who through his spirit works growth and change in us. It's he who gives us the power to live changed lives, to live godly and upright lives. It's him, not us. And we do not prosper and grow and continue to enjoy his peace because of our goodness and righteousness. No, nothing we do is pure and holy. Nothing we do of itself deserves his praise or reward. We continue in relationship with him only because he is faithful faithful to his promise a merciful and forgiving god we live by his grace by the effectiveness of his death by his generous love to sinners it is all him not us we have to remember gospel reality and we learn here that we also have to make use of all the opportunities we have to be reminded of that reality, that we should order our lives to remember. And Moses says to the Israelites, that starts with thankfulness. Eat, be full, and bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And that's where we should start too, isn't it? Practising thankfulness. In private, in your heart, every day when you wake up thanking the Lord, that you can call on him as your father, that you're forgiven through the death of his son, that you've been adopted as his child, that you have a hope of heaven, all his gifts. Oh, and that you have these gifts because you have a loving and faithful and living saviour, giving thanks. In private, giving thanks in your family or in your household, practising grace, before or after meals or both, acknowledging that it's actually his provision that keeps you alive and practising thankfulness in our gatherings as Helen did this evening, in prayer and song as we meet. We should practise thankfulness. Oh, and we ought to also make sure that we know the word that gives us life. We ought to keep it always, shouldn't we, in the forefront of our minds. Gospel words. We ought to have them memorised. Oh, we ought to be (laughs) reading it daily, whether it's on a book or a phone or a tablet, whether we've got to, you know, read it through in a year or we follow our daily bread or we just start at the beginning of a book and read it through. This word is our life. It's our treasure. We should know it listen to it, and meet to share it. Oh, and we ought to order our lives to meet together because that's to use the means the Lord has given us to remember him, whether it's meeting to hear his word, to sing his praise, or as we'll do next week, to share in the supper, which our Lord said we should do, to remember him, to never forget that it is by his death. We are his people. But above all, we should remember and not forget by resolving to live each day entrusting ourselves to our heavenly Father, our Father who loves us enough to discipline us, to humble us in all circumstances to learn to live by his word. Our Father who will train us to be his true children as we trust him, to be like his son who said in trial, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We ought to resolve to live where we know the one thing that matters and that is, as those who trust Jesus in plenty or want, in the success or failure of our plans, in peace or turmoil, we know that the one thing that matters is knowing, believing and doing the Lord's word. For not one of us lives by bread alone. No, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We live. That is our life. And trusting that word, we will live forever. Man does not live by bread alone, I hope you know that, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's your privilege to hear that word, to know that word. Make sure you never forget that word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you that you have brought us to know the gospel word, that Christ died for our sins and rose again. And we thank you that hearing that word, you have humbled us. You have shown us the bankruptcy of our own righteousness to bring us to know the generous kindness of your mercy, your life-giving mercy, in the life and death of your son as we trust him. We pray we would always remember. Remember that it is your word, your gospel word, that gives us life and to delight in it and to live according to its truth. Stop us forgetting in your mercy, we pray. Work all the circumstances of our life in your fatherly love to make us depend on your word so that we would live now seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness and we would die with hope knowing that we live by your word and that word will give us life as you have promised, life forever.